0: let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 13. We've been in a series that we've entitled Jesus, the greatest of all time. It has been an incredible series, and I was given proof in the eight o'clock service that this has been an awesome series, and here's why. The last pages of the book of Hebrews came out of my Bible. You know you're preaching it, When your Bible starts falling apart. And so uh, the passage I'm reading from almost flew away from me midway through the service. But it is a reminder, we've been in this book for some time and we have been seeking to understand it and know it in a way that would make us greater followers of Christ and in doing so that we would endure and persevere even amidst the trials and tribulations that are all around us. And remember, this is what was going on in the time of the Hebrews, persecution and difficulties. And what the writer does is as he closes out this letter, this sermon, He tells the church that they need to act a certain way. And what we have in our passage this morning is a two-way message, a message that's going to preach to the leaders of the church and a message that's going to preach to the congregation. And we're going to be in Hebrews 13, verses 17 through 19. And as we do that, I want to give it under the heading terms and conditions. Now, all of us may not be aware, but terms and conditions are all around us. When we uh, get a new app on our phone, there's terms and conditions. When we buy a phone, there's terms and conditions. When we buy uh, an extended warranty or any type of legal transaction, there is inevitably terms and conditions that lay forth the contract between the manufacturer and the purchaser. Now, if you're like me, What you'll inevitably do is you'll pretend to read the first couple lines, right? You look at the first couple lines, oh yeah, and you come up to the first Latin word that it has some legalese to it, and you give up. You throw up your arms, and what you start to do is just start scrolling as quickly as you can with the person not watching to get down to the bottom that says, I agree. You can't say you decline it. Why? Because they won't let you go any farther, right? So you inevitably have to agree. Now, skimming it, is altogether fine in that moment. But where terms and conditions become an important element is when problems arise. That's when we go back to this contract and we ask the question, if I cracked my phone, will the manufacturer replace it? If the motor goes out on the refrigerator, does my extended warranty cover that. You see, when problems arise, the terms and the conditions are vitally important because we want to know how we are supposed to respond when difficulties come. Well, in our passage this morning are the terms and conditions for the church, first for the church leaders and then for the church congregation. Now, when the church is going well, Nobody cares about the terms and conditions. That is, when the church feels like its leaders are doing what is right and good, if they're in agreement with it, they're fine. It's it's all good. But what happens when the church leaders or the church congregation starts doing things that the other one doesn't like? Then the question is how are we going to respond? What are we going to do? And the writer says, We need terms and conditions because at the moment that he's writing this, the church is suffering a great bit of calamity. There's a lot of pressures on them. And so as the leaders lead, the congregation, because they are becoming more and more impatient with the struggles and issues that are coming their way, they may not give the leadership the ability to rule and to lead. And maybe the leader's being beat up, some of them being incarcerated for their faith. Maybe they're losing their patience and working with people who are unwilling to endure and persevere for the cause of Christ. And so the author, as he's closing out this letter, gives terms and conditions when problems arise. Here's what he says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let the leaders do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you or to the congregation. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, as we talk about... The dynamics of the church leaders and the church, we need to recognize in any church there's a spectrum by which individuals or the church will fall. We're going to land somewhere, and let me deal with the two extremes. The first extreme within churches is what I want to call congregational anarchy that is every person for themselves this isn 't that the congregation is going to vote on things that we see in the scriptures that people got together and, and, and cast their affirmation for a certain decision that would affect the church. It seemed good to them the book of says a couple different times speaking of the church in moving ahead what i 'm talking about is that this is the time of judges. everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And there are a lot of churches in our country and maybe throughout the world where the church is not led by one person, it's led by all the people. And that is they just do their own thing. Now, the way you know that there's this type of church is, first of all, they're going to have contentious church meetings. Anytime the church gets together, you're going to white-knuckle it because people are going to be angry. They're going to be vocal. uh, They're going to yell. They're going to be disappointed with anybody who's leading in a way that they're not okay with. Another thing you're going to see is short leadership tenures. That is their elders or their pastors are going to serve in short times. In fact, in America, did you know the average pastorate uh, for a church in America is 18 to 24 months? It is a short amount of time. That's an indicator that there are some unhealthy churches in our midst, that literally either they're being voted out or they're resigning to get away from the anarchy that's in their midst. But then on the other side of the spectrum, the other extreme, we see a lot of here in America, and that is what I would like to call the celebrity attraction model of leadership. And that is we uh, follow and we listen to, whether it's through podcasts or see them on television or the radio, we find individuals that it seems that they're more about themselves and their persona than they are serving and honoring God and His people. Uh, It goes to crazy extremes. There's websites out that are showing, uh, I think it's preachers and sneakers, it's called. And it shows these preachers that are wearing Thousands of dollars worth of shoes and, and bling and all that. By the way, I'm wearing Skechers, okay? And, uh, and, and then watches. They, they talk about the thousands of dollars of watches. I have an $85 uh, fossil watch, just so you know. But, but this idea of celebrityism. Many times these pastors have no involvement with the congregation. Many times they're in a back room, which is called a a green room, where they have buffets and all of that stuff, never to be seen. They walk out on stage, they do what they do, and then they walk back off the stage. We've got to be careful of these things. These are dysfunctions that are um, antithetical to biblical ecclesiology. God envisioned not for his pastors, first of all, to be walked all over and for everybody to lead the church. He called pastors to equip and to lead the church. But likewise, he did not call them to become celebrities who are more about their own persona than the ministry of the church. And so what we want to do, and I hope that you don't think that we are any of those spectrums, but that we would be somewhere in the middle working through the difficulty of the relationship between the leadership and the laity of the church. And the author seems to say that that was a problem in the book of Hebrews, and that's why he in gives time and attention to this, and he gives words of encouragement and exhortation to both groups of people. Now, who do we start with? Well, because I'm a bit biased as a pastor, And because I know that I'm going to be preaching to you what your job is with response to me and my partners in ministry, the elders, I want to start with us. And the reason why I want to start with the pastors is is I believe if we do our job well, it will make your job of following and and, uh, trusting and submitting to us a whole lot easier um, that you'll be able to do it. So let's start first of all with the pastors. God's word says that the church's terms and conditions involves pastors who willfully and winsomely serve. They willfully and winsomely serve. Now, peppered throughout verses 17, 18, and 19 are words of exhortation for the pastors. Now, the author knows that the pastors are having a tough go at it. They know, he knows that they are marked men. Many commentators believe the individuals that are in prison are their pastors. Remember your pastors who are in prison. Why would the pastors be in prison? Because the municipal leaders, the Jewish leaders of the day, if they wanted to strike fear in the people, they would go after the leaders. You see this in the house churches in China. Very rarely do you hear of parishioners being put in prison in China. What you hear is church leaders and elders, those who have been identified as the leaders of the church being put in prison and being given ill treatment. And the author seems to say is no matter how hard it is for you and your job as a pastor, and by the way, at Village, we use the word pastor and elder synonymously. There are those that are in full-time or part-time ministry as pastors, but we have uh, about 25 elders who serve alongside us here at the Sugar Grove campus and shepherding the people of the church. The author is speaking to us and saying, no matter how hard it is to be a pastor, it doesn't give you the right to do ministry your way. Now that's an important truth in light of what we're seeing in the stats with regards to pastors. Christianity Today did a recent study and survey of pastors across America, and these were their findings, 70%. Of pastors say they feel grossly underpaid. 90% of pastors say that ministry was completely different than that what they thought it would be when they entered ministry. 70% of pastors fight depression continually. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way of making a living. 80% 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 80% of spouses feel the pastor is overworked, and they themselves feel left out and underappreciated by church members. 70% of pastors do not have someone they would consider a close friend within the church, and 40% of pastors in their churches report serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. Now, I bring that up to share the state of the church, and there's no doubt that may be one of the reasons why average tenure of a pastor is 18 to 24 months. Now, I want to stop and say everything that I've heard, and anecdotally and empirically through a uh, survey that we do with our staff and our pastor's None of that is true here at Village Bible Church. You have done the job that God has called you to do, and so what you are not going to hear from me is beating you up for not doing what you need to. I'll be honest with you, if there was work that needed to be done, I would give it to you, but in this area, you have gone above and beyond. And one of the ways you can see it is our average tenure is not 18 to 24 months, but probably closer to at least a decade or longer. And that is a telltale sign that the pastors and elders of your church love to serve you because you've made their job a joy and not a burden. So the author says, whether it's going well, Village Bible Church or not, the pastors have three things that they are called to live out. Let's notice what he says. First of all, before I get to those three things, he says, remember your leaders. This is important. Within New Testament ecclesiology, the way we do church, leadership is two things. Number one, it is plural. Notice, obey your leaders. Not leader, your leaders. Everywhere in the New Testament, when it speaks of elders, it always speaks in the plural. God has intended for elders, plural, to lead the church. Now this helps with two things. Number one, it keeps from one individual allowing his whims and his ideas and his desires to carry the day. By having a team of people, it takes away the ability for one person's prerogatives to carry the day. The second thing it does is a plurality of leaders enables the leaders to carry or share the load together. One individual would never be able to handle the ministry of even a small church, all of the needs and, and issues and struggles that inevitably come in the life of the church. And so God has intended for leaders, in the plural, to serve. Likewise, it is plural and it's pastoral. Notice in the text, it says, remember, you're obey your leaders, plural, and it says, these are the individuals who are keeping watch over your souls. The idea there is they're shepherding you. In a biblical church, the leaders are not simply a board of directors, They are not guys who simply crunch the numbers. They are not individuals who simply set the programs. At the heart of every elder must be the people. They must long and love to be with the people of God. They must care and be concerned about the spiritual well-being of the people. They should be praying for the people, serving the people, ministering to the people. If you are a elder or leader in the church, at the heart of it, you have to be a lover of people. Plural and pastoral leadership. Well, what is this plural and pastoral leadership to do? The author says, first and foremost, they must seek to live honorable lives at all times. They've got to live honorably. The author says, he says in uh, the text, verse 18, pray for us leaders, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, underline that if you will, than desiring to act honorably in all things. The idea here is that the leaders are saying, we need you to pray for us, and what we need you to pray for us about is our character, if we don't have character, then we have no reason to lead. One of the reasons why men who serve as elders need to have character is because of what it says in Hebrews 13, 7, that we are to imitate, we are to examine and um, emulate the lives of those who lead us. And the idea here is, is that when they speak the Word of God, It's easy for Tim to preach the Bible to you. Do this, do that, honor God, don't fall to sin. But what is really hard is to live what I've just told you to do. And like you, I'm not a perfect person. I've got sin, I've got difficulties, I have temptations all about, and I have got extra pressure of having the job of telling everybody what the Bible says, and now I have to make sure that I live By it. When I'm angry, I've got to live according to what I've preached. When I'm sad, I've got to do it. When people are my enemies, I've got to do it. When I'm filled with temptation to be prideful, I need to do it. And so these these leaders are those who you don't just listen to them preach, but you emulate them. And as you emulate or mimic or imitate them, you become more like Christ. My hope and my prayer is that you're able to do that. Now, the author says, pray for us that we would have a clear conscience. They say, we believe we have a clear conscience. The idea here is they have done it well in the past. There's nothing lingering. There's nothing uh, imposing them, a threat against them in the past. There's not something lurking in their past that they're afraid is going to come up. They say, listen, listen we have lived honorable lives in the past. Anytime we talk about bringing on elders, and even as our elders have gone through the elder qualifications in our times together in our monthly meetings, one of the things that we talk about is being above reproach. And while the qualifications of an elder are present tense qualifications, there has to be a period of time that that elder has proven themselves. In fact, the Bible says, be careful not to lay hands too quickly upon a man because there may be sins or issues that may have come up that you haven't examined or you were unaware of. You want to examine this person's life for a long time. He says, we believe we have a clear conscience. Our pasts are clean. Number two, we need a clear conscience in the present that we would act honorably in all things. Literally, that means in all ways and all times. That means elders don't just look good on Sunday, they don't just look biblical and spiritual when the church people are around. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 in Titus, one of the qualifications of an elder is that they are acting well or thought of well by the outsider. That means when Pastor Tim is out catering, his customers and his employees don't say, hey, you get one Tim on Sunday and we get a different Tim Monday through Saturday. And those two Tims are very, very different. The idea here is that they are acting honorably at all, in all ways and at all times. You need to be praying for your elders in this way. Elders, you need to be desiring and doing all you can to live in this way. Number two, these elders and leaders need to show humility because they are accountable. Now, wait a minute. We're going to cede this authority to these elders. We're going to be told in a minute that we need to obey and submit to these guys. What keeps these guys from going off the rail? The writer says they will give an account. That is, on the day of judgment, when you stand before God as a non-church leader, you're going to give an account for yourself. Now, behind you will be me, and I will give an account for myself, and then you'll get to go on to heaven. Woohoo! Yay! I'm in heaven. And then God will say, <clears throat> Tim, now go to the second line. And I will have gone through the first line, give an account for myself. Now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to stand with the elders of Village Bible Church. And in that line, I'm going to give an account as to how I took care of God's flock. God's going to ask me, did the flock grow? Was the flock fed? I think, and this is speculation, but I'm going to believe that Psalm 23 is going to be one of those things. Did you shepherd the flock as I shepherded you? Uh, I think the words of Jesus to Peter, did you feed my sheep? Did you tend my lambs? Did you do the work of keeping the flock where I needed them to be? Did you do that? And every elder, the Bible says, is going to endure that second one. Now, the book of James says that not all of you should be teachers, and you could add the word leaders to that because you will be under a stricter judgment. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but i got to be honest with you, that should strike some level of fear and sobriety into the elder before he thinks that he can just lead any way he wants. The final thing that we see is to seek uh, to live honorable lives, to show humility, and finally to seize opportunities to hang around the flock. Verse 19, the author says, I want you to pray for something very specifically. He says, I want you to pray even more earnestly that I might be restored to you. Would you pray that I get to you as quickly as possible? The idea here is that the author loves to be with the people. As I said in the first point, the thing we need to recognize is elders at the very heart of their role are people-loving persons. They love to be with the people. Uh, that means as they gather in small groups, most of our uh, elders are leaders of small groups. What you should not hear your elders say is, well, I guess we got to do this again, uh, I guess welcome. I could have found a lot of other things on a Tuesday night to do instead of be with you. No, the, the elder says, there's no greater joy than to have you with me today, to open God's word, to pray for you, to lead and to guide you. How can I serve you? And you see this overwhelming joy. Now remember, the individual who says, I want to be with you, pray for me, has just finished a 13-chapter letter exuding love and affection by teaching them and guiding them. And this is the truth of what it means to be an elder. So elders in our midst today How are you doing at these things? How are you doing at living honorably when nobody else is watching? How how much humility is there? You starting to read your own press? You starting to, to believe things about yourself that aren't true? How do you do at seizing opportunities to be with people? Are you hospitable? Are you open to conversations with people, even if it means changing your calendar and time? We need, at Village Bible Church, good, solid leaders who do these things. And notice, who do them willingly and winsomely. Your job is to serve. Now, just as I encourage the congregation, can I just tell you, and we'll take the lead pastor out of it, our elders are phenomenal. Amen? They do. There should be a stronger amen than that. Amen they love you guys. They care for you. They, alongside their wives, seek to serve you. Are they perfect? Uh, Do they have areas they can grow? Absolutely. And we challenge that and work with that. But I am so glad to be a part of a team of leaders who love Jesus and who love you. Now, As they lead, as they serve, what are the terms and conditions for the people? Write this down. The people are called to willingly and winsomely submit. As the leaders serve, that's their job. Leadership is servantship. The people, their job is to submit. Everybody just got the willies, right? Ooh, submit. I don't like that word. We're Americans. Don't tread on me is our mantra, and we bring it into the church. Now, there's a disclaimer that needs to happen when we talk about submission, and that is true when we talk about any area where we are called to obey and submit. That's true in the church world for leaders or for congregation to submit and obey to leaders. It's true of wives who are called to submit to their husbands. It is true for parents or children who are called to obey their parents. It's true in the workplace when it says slaves uh, obey your earthly masters. And so anywhere that there is this dichotomy of leading and following, there's this inevitable time that we got to stop and say, but what happens if the leader asks me to do something that I don't think is right? Well, the Bible says, even within the government world, that we first have to honor and obey God before we obey or submit to any earthly institution, whether it's your husband, whether it's your parents, whether it's your boss, whether it's your church leaders. So let me give you a clause that I think is important. You are to obey and submit to your church leaders, listen, as they faithfully obey and submit To God. So, what the author is saying is not, this is not a cult. What Pastor Tim or what the pastors and elders say on any situation goes, and there's a lot of excesses in there where pastors have been given total um, control of people's lives who they'll be friends with, who they'll marry, how they spend their money, what they will do, where they will go, all of that is out of bounds. We've even seen in some cult groups where the leader makes a decision on when they will all die. Of course, these are excesses that are completely and utterly out of bounds within the church context. So as your leaders lead faithfully, obeying and trusting and submitting to God, If your leaders are doing that, the call of the congregation is to follow. It is to obey them. Now, obey and submit very quickly is an inside-outside thing. Let me rephrase that. It's an outside-inside thing. Obey is outward or outside conformity. I'll do what they say, but I hate their guts. That's obeying. We obey laws, okay? And we don't do it because maybe we think they're good laws. We obey them outwardly. Submitting is the heart. Submitting is I am going to obey what they say and I'm going to do it because I believe them to be good men. I believe them to want to honor God. I believe that that's my job, that I've been called to that. So I'm going to obey them out of a reverence for Christ. Some of us obey outwardly, and then we get in the car and we lay into our leaders, that fool, that idiot, that dummy. I can't believe they do that. Can you believe they made that decision? But then when you're talking face-to-face with a leader, yeah, it's great, pastor, it's wonderful, everything is great. We need to make sure that our obeying and submitting are one and the same. It's a whole being following. So what does this mean? First of all, it means doing what your leaders say. It doesn't take a Greek scholar to understand what obeying and submitting looks like, but we need to do it. So where this comes into play is as your elders make decisions. Now remember, it's not one person making a decision. It's a group of individuals by the way, who have all been elected by the members of the church with an approval of 75% or more. That's a super majority. What they've done is they have gone and as representatives of the people made a decision about a particular situation and they say, we're going to do this. If it doesn't contradict God and His Word, your calling is to follow them in that way. doesn't mean you don't give feedback or even constructive criticism, but that you have a spirit of following them, even if it goes against your preferences or desires. The second thing that we see is once we do what the leaders say, we then pivot to the need. To let them supervise. Notice what the text says. Their job is to keep watch over your souls. That is an altogether personal thing. They are to get into your life. Now, does that mean every elder, every pastor should do that? No. The ones that you have said, you are my elder, you are my pastor, they've now been given the right to be involved in your life as a pastor. I've been involved in a lot of very delicate and difficult situations because those individuals have invited me in. I've talked with people about very intimate details of their lives. Now, what they need to know of me is that I'm not going to talk about it with other people. I'm not going to make it a place of judgment where I'm going to judge them, but I'm gonna pray for them. I'm going to counsel them. Now, what the writer is saying is for them to keep watch over your souls, to be the night watchman is literally what he's saying. In your life, you gotta let them in. You've gotta let them in. Now, what that means is, is let's use the doctor illustration. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, how you doing? Well, I hurt. Oh, really? Well, I'm here to help. What hurts? I can't tell you. Well, where are your pains at? I'm not going to say. Well, how in the world are you going to have the doctor help you unless you start sharing some of the symptoms? Now, what we inevitably will do is when the doctor says, okay, you, you open up, and you say, well, doctor, this is what's hurting. This is," And the doctor says, okay, this is what you've got to do. I think this will heal you. You don't know what you're talking about, doctor. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm out of here. Can I tell you how many times I've shared a word of wisdom to someone who's invited me in? You know what the response is, is when I tell them? You're crazy. I, I, I don't need to hear that. What a good, healthy church will do is they'll let their leaders in Those who can be trusted, I just will add that caveat, and allow the leaders to give wisdom and godly counsel to the situation. And they'll say, you know what? I'm going to take that under advisement. I'm going to seek the Lord. You've given me advice, and I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm not going to throw it out outright, but I'm going to seek the Lord to be able to uh, do it. We need, as leaders, the ability to supervise to watch over your souls. And the reason why is one day we're gonna give an account for it. Finally, we need to be able to follow them, which brings great satisfaction to all. When the church follows its leaders, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Not too uh, long ago, I was watching a group of uh, uh, geese and uh, is it goslings, the little baby geese, okay? Goslings following their mom. And their mom is literally walking them across a busy intersection and she's barking at them, squawking at them, and she's telling them, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, we're in trouble here. And what did they do? The little ducks, the little geese, they followed. And there's something beautiful when that happens. When that happens, the Bible says we will be advantaged. There will be good things that will happen. When leaders lead well and the church follows those leaders, everything will flow in the direction it needs to. And I'm here to tell you, that's what happens here at Village Bible Church. That's why we're seeing the growth. That's why we're seeing the health. Because I believe we've got healthy leaders and we've got a healthy congregants. Now, how do we keep that? Write these three things down and we're gonna say these things quickly. How do we keep what I believe we've got here? First of all, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for one another. The author says pray for us. Congregants, pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Take time and lift them up that they would not fall to sin or fall to disrepute. pray, pray. Pray. Pray for their families, pray for their outside work and, and all that they do, pray for them. And and elders, continue the work that I know we're doing of praying for our congregants. Number two, we need to do our part well. We each have a part to play. And so what we need to do is we need to not say, well, the elders, they need to get better at this and I'll start following when they do. And likewise, elders can't say, well, we got a bunch of stiff neck people. I'll start leading well when they start following well. If you're an elder today, do what the elders have been called to do. If you're a congregant today, focus in on what God has called you to do and do your part well. God will honor it. And finally, we need to see ourselves serving as partners. Go back to the headings of the points. Notice both of us have to be willing and winsome in our jobs. We need to be willing and winsome. This is what God has called us to and here's why if we really believe that Jesus is the greatest of all time, then surely our church will look so much different than the world around us. And so let us make every intention to follow Christ and to follow our leaders and to serve Christ and serve those who follow us to the glory of God.